0: Well, this morning we'll be reading from the fifth chapter of Acts, and the whole chapter, because that's what we'll be preaching on today. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostle's feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young man arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the, through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were all healed. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, did we not strictly command you did we yeah did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name and look you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us but peter and the other apostles answered and said we ought to obey god rather than men the god of our fathers raised up jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree him god has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away, drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them they should not, that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his sh- suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Here ends the reading.
1: As Wayne comes up to bring us the message. I just wanted to bring up an announcement real quick. Uh, Don't forget uh, worship, prayer, and the gifts coming up this, is it Tuesday? Wednesday, sorry. Good morning, church. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, what a privilege to be here in your house. I pray, Father, that you would anoint the thoughts of my mind, the intents of my heart, the words of my lips. And I pray also, Father, that you would anoint the hearing of of your word. Father, that it would penetrate and divide. Father, may you have your will accomplished in each life this morning. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at Acts chapter 5 and 6, more at 5 than 6, but I'll explain that as we go on. So uh, in Acts chapter 5, it starts with the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and Tom did a very good job covering that in the introduction, so I'm not going to try to improve upon it. Going on then in Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 42 we see that the apostles are preaching in the temple and uh, are arrested. The Sadducees became jealous, put them in prison. But that night, the angel brought out the apostles and sent them back to the temple. And so when the Sadducees called for the apostles to come from the prison, they weren't there. The prison was shut up, the guards were at post, but the prisoners weren't in the prison. Now, you would suppose that they would have escaped with their lives, right? But no, they were back in the very same place they got arrested the first time. So they heard that the apostles were back in the temple preaching. And so the guard goes out and rearrests the apostles and brings them to the court. And they asked the apostles, the council asked the apostles why they disobeyed the council's command to stop preaching Jesus. And when the apostles answered, they said, because it was right to obey God rather than man. And because they wanted to obey God rather than man, for some reason, this enraged the 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 Sadducees and the Pharisees, the council, these religious men. Can you imagine coming before supposedly godly men and saying, I want to obey God before I obey men? And they get mad at you. Not just mad, they want to execute you. That makes no sense to me. But nonetheless, that's what happened. But the Pharisee Gamaliel, Gamaliel, I'm sorry, cautioned the council to proceed with circumspection, because if this plan was the undertaking of God, of man, it would fail anyhow. But if it was of God, they wouldn't be able to stop it, and in fact, they might even be found opposing God. So somehow they took this sage advice and decided just to beat the apostles and tell them to obey man rather than God. Don't preach this Jesus anymore. And then they let them go. But the apostles, they were in the temple, and house to house, they did not preach, stop preaching and teaching that Jesus was the Christ. You know, they could have been very discouraged Beaten for doing what God told them to do. God, are you sure you told me to do that? How, how is it I should get beaten for doing what you want me to do? But you see, they knew what Jesus said. They knew what God had told them to do. And not a mere beating was going to discourage them. In fact, we see that Through persistence based on faith, they continued their ministry and soul winning. They chose to take the chastening as an honor for obeying God. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach that the Christ is Jesus. You know, I think oftentimes when our witness is rejected, we tend to get discouraged. Rather than excited that we had the opportunity to plant godly seeds. Their no doesn't mean never. It just means not today. And when our witness does not result in the immediate surrender of a life to Jesus. It is likely that we are just one of several touches that God is going to bring into their life. Galatians 6.9 tells us not to grow weary for doing good. For in due season we will reap. If we do not give up. Going on to Acts 6 then. In verses 1 through 7. We see that chapter 6 starts with a problem in the early church. Imagine that. It wasn't perfect. It seems that the Greek-speaking Jewish widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, the apostles, they weren't part of the distribution of food. They were dedicating themselves to the word, to preaching. So seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, were selected to handle this ministry of the church, the distribution of food to the widows. And with the apostles that continued to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly. Now, one of the seven who cared for this ministry of needs of the church was Stephen. And it says he was a man full of grace and power, performing great signs and wonders among the people. I want you to notice, Stephen was not an apostle. But he was doing signs and wonders such that people took note. So signs and wonders are not just the ministry of apostles. It's the ministry of you and me. Now the account of Stephen's trial is um, continued in Acts chapter 7. So David Croyd is going to pick up Acts chapter 6 and 7 next Sunday. All right. I purposely skipped over Acts 5 verses 12 to 6 because if I leave you remembering anything from this Sunday, it would be Acts chapter 5 verses 12 through 16. I'd say 6, 12 through 16. Let's read that again, shall we, even though we just read it? Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. I don't want to repeat that. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick to the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed, all healed. You know, we read that many signs and wonders were, re- were regularly done among the people at the hands of the apostles, and as a result, the people held them in high esteem. But as more of a result, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women, and people gathered from all around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed." I very much believe that Jesus showed us the best way to minister, to uh, witness. I believe the early church also demonstrated the same way. Why did Jesus tell the apostles to wait to begin their ministry until the Holy Spirit had come and fallen on them and empowered them I believe it was because without the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we do not have the tools we need in order to effectively tell others of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. William Fay and Ralph Hodge, right in their book, shared Jesus without fear the following. The prescription for spiritual power is found in Acts 1, 7 through 8. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus promised the power of the Holy Spirit for a specific reason or purpose. You will be my witnesses. I think so often we get, I get frustrated because I don't see the gifts manifested in the church service. And I'm not saying that God doesn't ever do that, because he does. But what's the main purpose for the gifts of the Holy Spirit? So that we can be effective ministers and witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, to be fair... Not every conversion in the New Testament followed the pattern I'm about to describe. Lydia's conversion in Acts 16, for instance, doesn't mention a sign or a wonder, not one. And this to me is why our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit is so important. He does not do everything the same way every time. People are individuals. And the Holy Spirit knows that to touch an individual's heart we need to sometimes do things individually different. Yet there is an observable pattern in how converts were usually went to the Lord in the New Testament. Jesus' methodology was, of witnessing was signs, tell, and leave the decision to those he was witnessing to. The apostles' methodology, we just read it, signs, tell, and leave the decision with those they were witnessing to. The early church's methodology was signs, tell, and leave the decision to those they were witnessing to. I wonder what our methodology should be. I would suggest signs, tell, And leave the decision to those we are witnessing to. And this is why the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so important to the work of the kingdom. Again, I am not saying that it isn't possible to bring others into the kingdom of God without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Our Baptist friends have demonstrated that this is very possible. But what I am saying is if we want to be adding to the kingdom of God daily as the early church did we need to do what the early church did we need the baptism of the holy spirit in order to become effective ministers of the gospel of jesus christ now we not only need the baptism of the holy spirit but we need to grow in the use of the gifts of the holy spirit that come with that baptism so that we develop the confidence needed to minister to others effectively I'm reminded of our brother Warren's testimony. He was uh, witnessing in a trailer park, I believe it was in Pevely. He knocks at a door. A man opens the door. He's not at all interested in hearing anything about Jesus Christ. Warren notices that he has an arm in a sling, and he asks the man if he minds if he prays for that arm. Now I don't. And the man said, "Sure." Now I don't know if he thought Warren would pray for him in a future time or whatever, but Warren just puts his hand up on him, preaches for him, and the Holy Spirit heals his arm. And now he's willing to listen to the good news. Now, I don't believe he received Jesus at that point in time, but again, Warren was one of several touches that the Holy Spirit was going to bring into this man's life. Jesus said that we can have anything that we ask for in his name, that is, on his behalf. How will we know what Jesus would do in any given situation unless the Holy Spirit tells us and we hear his still, soft voice in our spirit? Our ability to hear the Holy Spirit comes through practice. We listen, we obey, we grow. Kind of like getting to know our wives or our spouses but I'm going to talk from the husband's point of view. At first, when Trisha would say something, I didn't really understand what she was saying. It took a while of trying, failing, trying again. It took a while to understand what she was really saying with the words she was saying. But with practice, I'm getting better. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. The more we listen to the Holy Spirit, when we hear that soft voice, we obey. When we obey, we see the results, the fruit. And we grow. In Acts chapter 3, verse 12, we read, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as if by our own power or piety we have made him walk? You know, we all know that we don't manifest the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit through our own power. It doesn't work that way. And we all know that. But why is it that so often we feel like It can't work through us because we don't have the power. And you are right. We don't have the power, but the Holy Spirit does. But, you know, the Holy Spirit moves individually, we said. And so if I don't hear that soft, still voice in my heart telling me how to best minister to somebody or to a situation, I'm going to flub it up. Because that's my human nature but when I listen to the Holy Spirit and obey what I sense or hear the Holy Spirit saying, there's a much better chance of accomplishing that which the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish in that situation. Have you ever thought you might have heard a word from the Lord? Maybe it was in service and you weren't quite sure. You thought maybe it was, "Ah, but God never gives me a word. But... My heart's beating hard and fast and I'm, 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 I'm just I don't usually feel like I should be doing this but I just have this really strong impression that I should say this. Well, if you don't say anything you'll never know. But if you take if you take a chance if you take faith if you give God the Holy Spirit a chance And be obedient. And speak what you thought you heard him say. You are going to grow. Now if I say something that's not quite right. I know that I'm not going to get stoned. They stopped stoning people a long time ago. I do know here I will be lovingly corrected. By the elders. In fact you you probably don't know it but every time we have an elders meeting we talk about the service that morning that Sunday morning and and what was done well and what could have been improved on and I've never felt put down only loved and encouraged Matthew Eight verses five through ten tells the story of the faith of a centurion whose servant was ill, and you all know that story. And the centurion tells Jesus to only speak the word, because the centurion also is a man under authority with soldiers under him. He would say to one, "Go," and he goes, and another, "Come," and he comes, and to his servant, "Do this," and his servant does it. How did the centurion recognize? The authority that he had? How did he come to know that authority and what he could and couldn't say and what he could and couldn't do? Well, I think in part he was told by his superiors, right? And I think Jesus has told us what authority we have as saints. But I think the other part of it comes from practice. He practiced using his authority He learned and he grew. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, there is power in Jesus' name, no doubt about it. And when we do what Jesus through his Holy Spirit tells us to do, we have the same authority that Jesus has in that situation. When I was a supervisor at at and I had some authority over my direct reports. I set their work schedules, I set their assignments, I set their vacations. I observed their performance, I, I graded their performance, and I had that authority. But if I did not use that authority if all I did was sit in my cubicle and collect a paycheck and do nothing, which I wouldn't have done for very long that way, it would have been as if I had no authority at all. Even though I had it, if I didn't exercise it, it was as if I didn't have it. When I was a firefighter paramedic, I had authority in patient care. If I thought the fire captain, if his decision was not in the best interest of the patient, I could countermand it. But if I never did it, if it was necessary, it was as if I didn't have any authority at all. 1 Corinthians twelve thirty one says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. What are the best gifts? Well, Paul is writing this verse as an introduction to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which speaks of the God type of love. However, it can also be read as a summation of chapter 12, which speaks of the gifts of the Spirit. To me, what it says is that the best gifts are the ones that are needed at the moment, but unless they're manifested out of a self-sacrificing love based on a perceived value of the one being ministered to, we are accomplishing nothing but making a lot of noise. And have you ever had that experience? I have. I did something because I thought I should do it. But I didn't ask the Holy Spirit first what, a, what he wanted to do. And so I prayed, I made a lot of noise, but nothing happened. Nothing changed. Because I didn't ask the Holy Spirit what he wanted to do in that circumstance. You know, I've not seen hell, thank the Lord. But I have seen the results of large surface burns on the human body. I would not want to see anybody in hell. But if I don't love my neighbor enough to ask God how I can be at best minister the good news of salvation to them, Do I love them the way God loves them? And while seeing and loving others as God sees and loves them is essential to moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so is stirring up the gifts so that I am able to be used effectively to minister the good news to them. What does that mean to stir up the gifts? Put them in a pot and Well, in a sense it is. It's agitating, right? We stir up the gifts by using them, by asking God to help us grow, by listening to the Holy Spirit. Actually, here is where we're listening to the Holy Spirit, right? Listening to the Holy Spirit and stepping out and obeying what we believe we hear the Holy Spirit say. If we see the expected result chances are we heard the Holy Spirit. If we don't see the expected result, chances are we need to pray a little bit more. What is the purpose of the body of Christ on earth? Is it not to demonstrate the love of God to a lost world? And what is the purpose of the people gifts listed in Ephesians 4 to the church? Is it not to equip the body of Christ for the work of the ministry? In so many churches, especially in America, we pay a pastor, he's supposed to go out and grow the church. But that's not what Ephesians 4 says. Ephesians 4 says the pastor is supposed to equip you to go out and grow the church, grow the kingdom. And you, saint, what is your purpose here on earth? Why does God still have you here? Why didn't he just translate you to heaven the moment you received Jesus? Because he had a wonderful job for us to do. The honor, the privilege of telling others that God loves them and that Jesus Christ died for their sins so that they no longer have to be depressed trying to figure out how to clean themselves up because Jesus has already done it for them. I pray that you are as convicted as I am to stir up your gifts. I know that the Holy Spirit wants to minister the grace, authority, and power of Jesus to you. Jesus will fill you with the fullness of His Spirit and the power of Jesus. Receive it and stir up the gifts. Remember, we read that we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts. What's that word earnestly mean? How do you earnestly desire? You know, I think Jesus wanted earnestly the cup of God's wrath to pass from him. And he not only was down on his knees, he was prostrate on a rock, I believe. Although the scripture I don't remember says that. But tradition does. But begging God, if it was at all possible within his will, that this cup would pass from him. And have we been begging God, if it's at all possible in his will, to empower us with the gifts of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the purposes for which he has left us here on earth at this time. Earnestly desiring spiritual gifts is the first part of stirring up the gift. And as I've already said, the second part is asking, listening, obeying, practicing. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, sweet spirit, we pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come like a spring in the desert. Come to this weary soul. Come as strength to our weakness. Touch us, Lord. Make us whole. Empower us, O God to be effective ministers, witnesses of the good news, the great news that Jesus Christ died to save us. Took our our punishment in in our place. Bore it on the cross in our place. And granted us new life. Help us, Holy Spirit, to stir up your gifts.